All right. Well, this this is a this is an awesome Sunday. It's an awesome Sunday, isn't it? Some of you know what it is. Some of you have no idea. You thought it was just Mother's Day, um, but this this for us is is kind of the culmination of the last year and then the last three weeks as we have kind of rebooted or revisited um, this idea of Arise. And Arise is an initiative that our church is right in the middle of. How many were, how many were here last week? You're trying to manage your middle, trying to manage your middle. Yeah, if you missed that, you should go online. Probably the best message in the series was last week. And so now I've just tipped you off that today's just not going to be that good. And so... <laughs> But um, but we're just trying to manage the middle. And a year ago, we sat out and took the greatest step of faith our church could could ever take. Now, by the way, if you're if you're a guest today and you're like, oh God, I showed up and and they're talking about buildings and money, let me just explain to you something. This is the best day that you could visit us, and here's why: because you're going to see tenacious faith in the heart of a people to pave a way for more guests and more people to experience the faithfulness and the love of God. There is no better day to visit a church than, than, than when they are making or renewing commitments and giving offerings to build a new facility because you're finding out those people are generous and those people have the heart of God and those people really put their money where their faith is and those people believe not only do they want a place to worship, but they want to make room for more people. So it is a great testimony today. If you're a guest, I just hang out and watch. I, I was reminded this week, I was in some meetings with some pastors pastors in our city this week. And I was reminded in, in a roundabout way of how blessed we are and how faithful you are to allow God to use you and to move through you um, just by some things that were said. And I realized in those conversations, I'm like, wow, for nine years into this, we are extraordinarily prosperous. God has blessed us tremendously, and God has moved through us tremendously. And so I, I wanted to brag on you. I was bragging on you earlier. To I said it was kind of humbling to realize what God has actually done here in nine years in comparison with some churches that are much older. Not that God is not moving in them. Please know I'm never one of those arrogant, prideful. It was humbling to say, God, you are really doing something in, in our midst. And so if you're a guest, I'd stick around because you're going to see some faith-filled people making declarations of faith. And that might tell you where you want to worship again next weekend. And so um, anyway, so glad you're here. But two years ago, we said, hey, we, we can't stay where we're at. It's obvious we have to keep moving forward. For us, um, we feel like complacency is a cancer and apathy is a disease and they plague the body of Christ in the way that makes us feel content just to show up at a church every now and then. And, and people say, well, you know what? You know, the average church attender nowadays goes about once uh, every every six weeks or so, about two times a month is what they tell us. And what we say is that's terrible. People obviously don't know what God has called them to do. They don't know how amazing they are. They don't know how anointed they are. They don't know the, the impact that they're supposed to have on the world around them. And we feel like the church is the answer for that and that we are supposed to declare radically the message of Jesus that there is a purpose for your creation. I wish somebody would help. I'm preaching really good and you're just staring at me like it's Mother's Day and when am I going to pass out a flower? I just, I want, I want you to understand that, that we think that apathy is a disease, right? It's, it, it will keep us from 
from our calling. And we can never get comfortable. We can never get, you either move forward or you die. That's all there is, whether it's your family or your business or your relationship with God or your calling or your destiny. You either move forward with God or you die. Those are your two choices. There is never holding the middle, right? There is never staying in the middle. And we believe God has called us not to attend church, but to increase his kingdom in this city and around this world. So you're, you're a bunch of radical people who believe God can do more through us together than he could if we were individuals. And so, and so two years ago, we sat out on this adventure uh, called Arise, and we said, hey, we're believing God for $11 million to fund the ministry that God has called us to, uh, to fund the outreaches that, that we support, and to build our, our first campus, and, and God has been faithful. And over the last year, and now we are in the process of construction. We are in the middle, thus we are managing the middle, thus if you miss that. I'm going to say thus as much as I want to today. Thus, you should watch last week's message on YouTube. But anyways, um, and so now here we are this week, and we've asked everyone in our church to participate in that we want you to complete your commitment card that we wanted. We ask everybody, would you just meet with God and ask God? We talked about the giving ladder, which you can see on that commitment card ranges from potential giver uh, to extravagant giver. And I ask God, I ask everyone in here, I ask God to speak to you, but I ask everyone in here, would you pray and ask God where you're supposed to be on that ladder? And many of you have already filled out one of these last year. And I ask you if you would participate by filling it out again. And you say, why do I have to do it again? Because we want God to do it again. We just sang about that. God wants you to do it again, right? And so he wants, I want to put you in a place of faith. I want to put you in a place of constantly depending on God. I want to put you in a place where I drive you back to him as many times as it takes, because I want you to hear from him and be shaped from him. And so the question simply was, where are you supposed to be on that ladder? Not where, not what is comfortable for you, Where does God want you to be? And let me help you with something. God will never call you to comfort. If you're you're comfortable, let me help you with something else. If you're comfortable, you're stuck. This is a great message. I don't even know. I may not ever get to my notes because I'm liking where I'm headed with this. But if you're, listen, you can't have comfort and conquest. And if you want to do what God's called you to do, you will never be comfortable. And today, if you're sitting in God's house and you are comfortable, I can tell you something. You are stuck. You don't know it yet, but you're stuck. Now you know it because I just helped you with that. Right. And so God was he's not calling us to comfort and we are reaching beyond ourselves. And and what we're saying is God's grace has changed us and we believe God wants to reach more people. God wants to do more through us. God wants to use us to do more than we even think God can do. He's going to do it through us. And so we launched out and so many of our church made commitments and have been faithful and and over three and a half million dollars has been has been given and and two point two million has gone towards the campus and we are in control instruction and it is awesome, but we are far from done because in about three months, we're going to be out of money. Now, here's the cool thing. Last week, I needed $2 million in three months to keep it going. This week, I just need $1.9 million. Come on, somebody. We'll celebrate that, right? We'll celebrate that. 
Um, so I just, I just need, you know, that's what God's got to do and we're trusting God. And so today, hopefully you came prepared to make your commitment. I, I'm asking again, please hear me. I'm asking everybody to do it. Our elders have to make real time decisions. And, and these, if you make a commitment, let me just say this. It's not financially binding. We will not repossess your car. Okay. It's just letting us know what you're believing God to do through you and how you're expecting God to move in your life and what you're expecting that, that you're going to be able to do. And hopefully you prayed about that. If not, I'm going to give you time today and then to pray about it. And I want everyone to respond, 100% participate. If this is your church. Now, if you're a guest, again, you just sit back and watch the show. All right. But, but for all of our Pathway people, I want everyone to participate. Even if you're saying, hey, it's exactly the same, that's fine. There's a place to hit. I'm affirming that we're on track. It's exactly the same same. If it's new, if you weren't here, you're making a new commitment. There's a place for you to check that as well. And then if you're increasing, like like me, like some of us are increasing, we're able to go above and beyond because God has been so faithful to us. Um, then there's a place for you to mark, hey, we're going to increase this. And then today, what I'm most excited about today is, is the fact that when we bring this up, we're bringing a miracle offering with it. And what I mean by that is I ask you again, and I know it's been a long week. It was a long week for me too. It's been a long week with all the storms. I do want to praise God for our first responders. And I want to praise God um, for, for, for the linesmen, the electrical workers. Right now, those guys are like the Avengers in my book. You know what I'm saying? And so, uh, so and, and, and I want to praise God that as far as I know, I've not heard of any serious injuries or anything like that. And and so we want to praise God. And, and I've also learned a lot about what we want to be prepared for next time, because um, I want to be able to set up uh, mobile food next time for the people serving our community. And uh, so I'm, we'll be working with that on the outreach side. So uh, there's, I got some ideas, but just praising God for his faithfulness. But today, I understand maybe a long week and you may not even know where you're at and that's okay, but hopefully God will speak during the worship experience. Obviously, if you're not prepared at the end, then then we you can bring it by the office or, or even come next weekend. Next weekend is baptism weekend. That's a great weekend. Um, and so, but I'm asking everyone to pray about giving a miracle offering, a seed to sow into the kingdom and believe for whatever God has put on your heart to believe for, um, because we, we want to move forward. So that's, that's what we're doing. That's the gauntlet that we have set before us today. Uh, and before I go any farther with that, I want to preach the word. Would it be okay to preach the word to you? So why don't you turn with me to Joshua, um, Joshua chapter six, the last verse uh, while you're turning, I want to welcome those doing church online today. Maybe, maybe your power is still out, but, but you're watching on a phone or an iPad, or maybe you're in a different city. However, you're joining us today, whether it's at mypathway.church or YouTube or podcast, I don't know. However you got here, we're so glad and so honored. We always want to greet our, our friends down in College Station. Glad to have you guys with us today. Um, Joshua chapter six. What's going on, Joshua chapter six? We, we've kind of the last three weeks been looking looking at Joshua. And in Joshua chapter six, uh, this is this is the battle of Jericho. We all that's probably the most famous 
probably part of the book of Joshua is how God led them into the land of promise across the Jordan. The first city that they come to is called Jericho and it was fortified and tightly shut up and God gave them a strategy. Basically for six days, they walked around the city. On the seventh day, they walked around the city for seven times. I always laugh because Joshua's instructions were for six days, walk around the city, but don't say anything. I think sometimes the best thing you can do in your life when you're not sure what God's doing or how God's going to answer is not say anything. Mom used to say, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. I would say, if you don't have faith on your lips, keep your mouth shut because you don't want to mess up what God's trying to do. And so on the seventh day, they march around, they shout, the walls come tumbling down. And, and, and it is an amazing, an amazing, an amazing victory for them. And then we get to verse 27. It says, so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. Now we go to verse one of chapter seven and it says this, but there's a lot of big butts in the Bible. That's, this is a big butt and it doesn't lie, but the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things, Achan, the son of Karma, the son of this other guy, the son of another guy of the tribe. Of, I'm not Hebrew. The tribe of Judah took, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. I want to talk to you today about the cost of conquest. The cost of of conquest. So can we pray? God, we have gathered in this place to celebrate your faithfulness. And God, for, for a lot of our church family and definitely a lot of our city, it has been a very trying week. It, is, it has been difficult, but yet God, today we are here testifying of your grace, testifying of your goodness, and thanking you, God, for your protection and understanding that the things that, that were probably lost or damaged in this storm were not lives. they are things that could be replaced. And so, God, we are thankful. God, as a church, we are here to testify of your grace and to prophesy towards your faithfulness by saying we are going to trust you. We are going to give. We are going to commit. We are going to stand. We are going to follow. We are going to obey. And God, expect, God, you to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can imagine according to your power that works in and through us. And so, God, in these moments, let our ears be open. Let our hearts be attentive. Let our minds be focused so that your Holy Spirit can speak words of life that forever change and shape who we are in Jesus name and everybody said amen so what happened here what happened they went from their famous and their winning to God's really upset and then you go on to see they fight a nation called AI their strategy was pretty simple they were going to divide in fact this is what they did they divided uh, the promised land they went right through the middle so there's Jericho and then they go to a place called I a lot of people say AI because it's spelled AI but it's actually pronounced I so they go right into the middle and they begin to divide and they conquer the southern and the northern parts of the land. There's seven different nations that are in this land of promise that God has given them. And, and, and so this is their strategy. So they win and then they get into uh, the next battle, I, and they expect to win, but they are defeated. And the question becomes, what happened? What happened? What happened? 
And so I want, I want you to understand this, and we'll come back to it. But what had happened was one of the men had actually taken some things from Jericho. Now, God said very explicitly, and Joshua told them uh, very clearly in, in Joshua chapter 6, that they were to touch none of the gold, or they were to take none of the gold, none of the silver, right? None of the bronze, none of the iron. All of that belonged to the Lord. And they weren't supposed to, it was all supposed to go into the treasury of, of God. And that's chapter, but there's a man named Achan, not Clay Aiken, but a different Aiken. And Aiken actually took a robe and 200 gold coins and a pound of gold. And, and because of that, they go into battle, the next battle, and they are completely defeated, defeated very soundly. So now Joshua's like, dear God, I thought you were for us. I thought you were going to give us the victory. You had promised this. And he's on his face before the Lord. And the Lord says, get off your face, Joshua. There's sin in your camp. Someone has taken the things that belong to me and they've taken them as though they were theirs. They've taken the consecrated things and you've got to fix this. Write this down. I just have two really quick points today. The first one is this, is if you can consume the consecrated, it becomes accursed. When you consume the consecrated, it, it becomes a curse. Joshua 4, I'm sorry, Joshua 7 verse 4, it says this. So, so about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. And they chased the Israelites from the, from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At, at this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Do, do you see that? That, that, that this, this mighty victory of Jericho is then soon forgotten because the next, the next nation they go after, the next battle, they are defeated soundly and it says their hearts are melting. What I want to say is sometimes, listen to me very carefully, sometimes when, when we are not winning, it may be because we didn't follow God's instructions. And while we're, my, my dad used to preach a sermon. It was always a good sermon. I liked it. It was called There's Sin in the Camp. We don't preach on sin anymore. That's not popular. Nobody's going to subscribe to that on YouTube. And so, but, but he, what he used to say is if God has called you to win, but you just got beat, instead of getting angry at God, maybe you should go back to camp and look around and see if there's anything in your camp that is in disobedience to what God has instructed you to see if maybe you're trying to live life your way and expect God to give you victory. Is there sin? And so there was sin in the camp. Now here's what's crazy to me, and I have to move fast today because we've got a lot to do, but here's what's crazy. When you think about all the spoils of this city, Jericho is a prosperous city. This man just took 200 gold coins or 200 silver coins and a pound of gold. Now that, how many be okay with 200 silver coin pound of gold? I would today. I don't know what the rate of exchange would be. Somebody can probably do that really fast in their head, but that would be a lot, right? It would be noteworthy. But it wasn't a lot to, to like. The next question I would have is, why did it matter? The next question I have is, why did God say, all the silver, all the gold is mine from Jericho? Put it in the treasury of God. Because from my understanding, God doesn't need money. Right? But, but yet God tells them, I don't want you to have any of the gold, any of the silver. It, it, it all has to be brought into the treasury 
of the Lord, like he explicitly commands them, clearly states it. So what's the big deal? Here it is. Jericho was the first city. It was the first one. Now, why is that important? Because the first one is always God's. In fact, you can read this in Exodus Exodus chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both man and beast, it is mine. And I cannot tell you how emphatic it is mine is in the Hebrew, but it, God is saying, it belongs to me, not to you. It may be in your hands. It may have been born in your pasture, but it is not yours. That is what he is saying. And when you look at scripture all the way through, all the way through scripture, the first is always God's. The first always, in fact, Exodus would tell us the first has to be redeemed. In fact, in, in Exodus 13, you can read it, homework assignment while you're waiting on your lunch today or, or you, homework, here we go. You can, you can read it that the first is either given or he said you must break its neck. It will be given or it will be lost. It will be redeemed or it will be lost. It's the only two, only two choices. And, and so Jericho was the Lord's because it was first. And when you touch what is God's, what belongs to him. See, here's the problem when it comes to finances and even everything in our life. We think we own stuff. When, when Psalm 24 clearly says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, that, that nothing actually belongs to us, rather we are sons who steward what God has put in our hands. And the first way we steward what God has put in our hands is returning to him the first part of it. Now we call that a tithe, which for some people in church is a cuss word. Right? But that's the first portion. And it, that's why in the Bible, anytime it talks about a tithe, you never get to give it. You return it. Why? Because it's, it's not yours to give. It belongs. Emphatically, it is mine. It belongs to me. And you either give it or you lose it. When people say, I can't afford to tithe, I always say, oh, you can, because you're losing it if you're not giving it. Yeah, just the auto repair shop's getting it. You know, the AC repair man's getting it. I mean, you're losing it if you're not giving it. It's still there in your budget. It's amazing how God will shift. When you seek God first, everything else comes into order. And when your finances seek God first, everything comes into order. And it's amazing how you can actually afford it because you're still losing it as it is. Only difference is instead of losing 10%, you can give it and get a bless or return it and get a blessing on 90%. That's the only, only difference. But here's the thing. When we take what is God, and this is what this is what happened to Achan. He took what was God's. And as soon as we take this is a spiritual principle, when you take what is God's, it becomes a curse to you. Malachi 3, another cuss word. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. It's the same command that God gave him with Jericho. 
bring the spoils of Jericho into my house, into my treasury. Same thing. He said, Malachi said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. But, but before he said that, he said, here's the problem. You've robbed God. And then he says this, because you've robbed me, you are cursed with a curse. Right? I mean, you are cursed, not just you're cursed, but you're cursed with a curse. And, and I know a lot of people, oh, pastor, you know, tithing's in the Old Testament. First of all, tithing started 500 years before the law with Abraham. Secondly, are you telling me the Old Testament is not God's word? Because in Malachi 3, you know what else God says? I am the Lord. I change not. And so I'm just saying that what I want you to understand, because here, here's, and, and you think the whole message today is about money. Now, let me tell you what the message is, very clearly what it's about. It's about winning. I'm going to tell you how to win today. And so what, what the Bible, what Malachi said is, you're, what God said is, when you take what is mine, tithe. He said, how have you robbed me? Tithes and offerings. When you take what is mine, you are cursed with a curse. Now, n- not to steal from Forrest Gump, but I'm not the smartest man. But if you're telling me there's something I could do where I would be cursed and there's something I could do where I would be blessed, it is not a hard decision for me. I don't have to, I don't really have to strain at that one. Like God said, if I do this, I'm cursed. And if I consume the consecrated, it's a curse to me. And if I return the consecrated, it's life and blessing to me. For me, this is not a hard decision. It's multiple guests with two answers and one of them I like and one of them not at all. And so, but here, here's why. That, you may be saying, but why, 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 why? Why is all this about? What, what is all this about? Um, because the first declares that God is first. That's really what the whole thing's about. The first declares that God is first. And and let me help you with something. God will not let you win your way. And God will not let you win without him. The worst thing God could do is to allow you to win your way. Because then you would become self-reliant and feel like you were self-sufficient. And so what God shows Israel is, sorry, you're not going to win without me. You're not going to win. Look at it this way. You're not going to win unless I'm first. When I'm first, this this is the whole message right here. Pathway, if we will put God first and keep God first, we will never lose. That's the whole message. And the reason we're talking about money, because it's the hardest place for people to put God first. It is. And, and you say, if it doesn't matter, why is there such a warfare about it? I mean, people dedicate their baby and they can't give 10%. If it's so easy, if it doesn't mean anything, then why is it so hard to do? But the, the idea is that when we give the first, it declares that he is first. Let me just show you this. Hebrews 7, 8, it says, by the way, this in the New I gave you a New Testament verse on tithing right here for everybody that was so worried it was only in the Old Testament. But I gave you a New Testament verse, and it's Hebrews 7, 8. It says, here mortal men receive the tithes. Look at this. But there he, and that's Jesus, there Jesus receives the tithes of whom it is witnessed that he lives. To me, it may be the most powerful verse on tithing in the whole Bible as in the New Testament. Because what it says is here, I go and I, I click online and I give, or here I put my tithe in the box. And when I do that, 
he receives it there. And it's a testimony that he is Lord and that he is first, right? See, the reality is God, listen to me very carefully. God can only be first. His preeminence dictates he can only be first. And, and you have to understand, so many people get, get caught up on why God received Abel's offering and not Cain's offering all the way back in Genesis. And I can tell you, it's very clear. It says, Cain brought of the first fruits. I'm sorry, Abel brought of the first fruits. But Cain brought an offering, it says, in the process of time. Abel gave first to God. Cain gave when it was convenient. Because God has to be first. And I think, isn't that really where we want him? And so many times, and, and here's the, and listen, humbly, let me say something. Every believer would tell me God is first in their life. And I just want to believe you. But if you really want to know if God is first in your life, just pull your bank statement. Just humbly, there's your test. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to show me. You don't have to amen or shout. I'm just saying everyone says God is first in my life. And what I say is praise the Lord for that. But if you're sitting here and you really want to know, like, have I really put God first in my life? Is God really first in my life? Then the question is, did you give him Jericho? Did you give him the first? Not the last, but, but the first. See, can, can I tell you something? Um, the first is, is what releases, now this is the good part. The first tells God that he is first, right? Like, like you can, have you ever met those people that tell you like you're my best friend? Then you heard what they said. Then you saw what they did. But yet then they came back, oh, no, 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 I think you're amazing, you know? And then you heard what they said. Isn't it amazing how our mouths can say one thing and our hearts can do something else? And see, what we do when we, when, we, when we tithe is we line up our mouth and our heart. When we give to God first, even above our tithe, we line up our mouth and we line up our hearts. And what we're saying is, no, 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 God, you are Lord and you are first. And when we do that, the first, here's the thing about the first, the first the first portion actually releases the power of God. This is why, as a pastor, I always say, I want to get everybody to tithe, giver, and beyond. Amen. And the reason is, and the reason I'll never apologize for that, because I wouldn't apologize for telling you how to make your marriage work. And I wouldn't apologize for telling you how, how to live a life of faith and how to depend on God. So why in the world would I apologize for telling you how to win in your life? And, and, and it's more than financial. It's just how to win in your life, right, is, is, is where giving comes in. And because the first is what released. When God is first, that's seek first the kingdom, everything else. When God is truly first in our lives, that's where his power is best seen. And most things, in fact, here's just a couple, Proverbs 3 and 9, honor the Lord with your wealth. I'm sorry, Solomon, what are you talking about? With your wealth, what could that be? With the first fruits of all your crops, look at this, verse 10, then your barns will be filled to overflow and your vats will brim over with new wine. Then, when? When you honor the Lord with the first. Right, I'll give you another one. I like the way this uh, Exodus 23, 19, it says, the first of the first fruits. Like, could you clarify that for me, God? How first does it need to be? The first of the first fruits of your land, 
you will bring, look at this, bring into the house of the Lord. That's where God always tells us to give the first. Now we get, Julie and I give to other places. We're honored and privileged to give beyond our tithe, even in pathway and, and beyond. But, but the tithe always belongs in the house of God. It belongs in the storehouse, right? If that, that's, that's not Pastor Marty's interpretation. That's what the Bible says. You bring it into the house of the Lord your God, and you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Now that's one that you can talk about over dinner. Sometimes reading the Old Testament can be dangerous. <laughs> what? Anyways, but here's the thing. This is what you miss. Why, why does it testify of God? Why does it release the power of God? Here's why. It's not about the 10%. It's about the faith to give it first. You can give 10% at the end. It's not a tithe. I can be honest. I pay I pay the bills at our house, and and I do the giving. And Julie's aware of those things, but I I do that. Um, I pay the tithe before the mortgage company, before the grocery bill. It is the first transaction. I get paid on the fifteenth and the thirtieth. It's the first transaction every time. I don't look at the month and say, okay, what have I got to pay for this month, or what's happening, or I got a kid that's about to get braces, or or you know, I no, I pay it. Then I do the bills. That's the way I've done it for all of my working life for 20 years. That's 20-something, I don't know, however long. I'm young. Anyways, but that's how I've done it. Because, because I always want to say, God, you are Lord. You are first. And I know when you are first, I win. I like winning. And if there's a simple strategy for winning in my life, then I want to know what it is. And you don't have to look any farther with God than this strategy of if you want to win, God has to be first. It's just, it's that simple. And I think about, you think about the faith and you say, man, it takes a lot of faith to give the first, it does. But think about Israel. They, they had grown up in slavery and then had spent 40 years in a wilderness living hand to mouth with manna. And now they finally come into the promised land. We talked about this shift. Now they're going to have to sow and reap. And then the first conquering they have is Jericho. Think about how tempting. Like we get all mad at Achan because he stole the gold and the coins, right? But think about how tempting when you have a slave or an impoverished mentality. You always try to hang on to what you got to let go. Because God was going to give them the spoils from every other city. He just wanted the first one. And it took a lot of faith to give, give God the first one, right? Here's the last thing. I just, two points. We're just kind of talking. Can we just kind of talk today? Like, I don't, I don't want to holler and preach and all that kind of stuff. I do, but, you know. Um, but here, here's the real sermon. Keeping God first makes the impossible possible. Joshua 7.23, after they figure out that Achan had, had taken what was consecrated, holy, set apart to the Lord, what belonged to God. It says, they took the things from his tent. He buried them in his house. And he brought them. By the way, if you're wondering, well, what happened to, to Achan? Well, he was put to death. I wonder how seriously God meant that first belongs to me thing. He and his whole family, his tribe, was put to death. Um we're not going to kill you today if you don't. I mean, that's between you and the Lord. 
I'm just saying some people wonder what, what happened to him. Well, that's what happened. It says, they took the t- things from his tent, brought them to Joshua and the Israelites. And look at this. And they spread them out before the Lord. So they said, God, these were taken. They were not yours. They were not ours to take. They are yours. We're returning them to you. Skip down to Joshua chapter 8, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, you don't have to be afraid. And you don't have to be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack I. These are the people that just beat them. For I have delivered into your hands the king of I, his people, his city, and his land. I'm just telling you, if you want to win, I'm telling you how to win. I'm telling you how to win. God has made it easy for us. What was the only thing that changed? They just gave to God exactly what was his. And for the next 40 years as they're conquering the land, um, as long as God is first, they never lose. They drive out seven nations and take all the cities. And as long as they keep God, they never lose. You have to understand, this today isn't a message about an offering. It's a message about winning. I want you to win. And God, can I just tell you, God wants you, God wants you to win. Um, have you ever wondered why in the world God created giving? Because he's the one that created it. I know everybody thinks pastors did, but we didn't create giving. It was, it was long before I was ever thought of. Uh, giving was, well, I mean, you can go all the way back to Abraham you know, or, or Abram, um, in, in Genesis 500 years before Moses. And he, he wins and captures Lot who had been, his nephew had been taken captive and returns and runs into this guy named Melchizedek, which is a Christophany. It was Christ appearing in the old Testament. And the first response to an encounter with Jesus was giving him 10% of all the plunder. And Abraham ties, and then his son ties. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they all tithe. You see it all throughout the Bible. But here's the question. If you're God and you don't need money, in fact, the Bible says he has need of nothing, then why you talk about giving? Jesus talked about wealth and possessions more than anything else that he ever talked about. So if you don't like preachers who occasionally talk about money, you could not have hung out with Jesus. You'd have been clicking him off TBN like, no, I ain't listening to this. <laughs> but why did God create giving? If he doesn't need the money. He created giving for us. He didn't create giving for him. I- I'm going to tell you something else. He didn't create giving. I mean, one of the benefits of giving, yeah, you bring tithe into the storehouse. And, and I've said this all along. In the last nine years, if all of our church would have given the first 10% of their increase, we would already be in the building debt-free, probably building the next phase. I mean, truthfully, that's just the numbers on it. So I'm not naive enough, but I'm also smart enough to know, like I learned this week, that we are very blessed and we actually have a high percentage of our people who are very faithful in giving. And we have a lot of extravagant givers in our church and I celebrate that. So, so while we, maybe we're not where we, where we want to be, we sure are in a good place and we want to celebrate the people who have faith and have given and have sacrificed. And we've seen a lot of sacrifices, people selling their homes and downsizing to be a part of a rise. And so I want to celebrate that, but I want everybody to win. And we need to understand that God didn't create giving because he needed the money or even that because his church needed the money. I don't think God's sitting up there like, you know, boys, we, you know, more people are coming to heaven than ever before. And uh, man, we're going to have a new expansion out here on this side of the city. We better raise the tithe down there. You know, we better get some, you know, light bills getting pretty expensive up here in heaven and we're paving some new streets with gold. Better get down there and get those earthlings, you know, to, to start giving more. I don't think that's how it works. 
I think God created giving. I think God created giving for us. And here's why. Giving changes us. Giving transforms us. I've said it all along, but no one was redeemed until God gave. Right? God loved for thousands of years, but no one was redeemed until God gave. And for us, we want to see our families redeemed and our kids redeemed and our nieces and our nephews and our neighbors and our bosses. We want to see people redeemed. And what I'm saying is there is a cost to conquest. There is a cost to seeing people redeemed. It would be nice if all of us could have been saved and God didn't have to give anything, but he had to give the most extravagant offering that anyone could ever contemplate or conceive as an idea. God gave that offering. Why? Because there is a cost to conquest. And what God says is, if you want to win, there's a way to win, but it costs you. Not a lot, just the first. But when you give the first, what was Jesus? He was the first given to redeem the rest. He was God's tithe given in faith to redeem all of us. There is a cost to conquest. And when we give, it changes us to look like our Father. And it changes the world around us. It changes the course of our life. That's why we give. We don't give because God needs it. We don't give because the Bible dictates that we should. We give because our heart tells us He is Lord. He is King. He is good. We want to win. We want Him to be first. And if we keep Him first, we win every time. That's why we give. And so as we're giving today, we're putting, we're putting God first. And I thought about this and I thought about the Israelites. What were they, what were they doing when they give? Number one, they were crushing complacency. They were crushing. One of the things, one of the mentalities of East Texas that I would love to crush is that we're doing okay. This weekend, about 10% of our city's in church. Now the other 90, half of them think they're Christians. That's between them and God. But I'm saying, while we're sitting here, right, and we're celebrating the faithfulness, I don't want us to ever think, well, we're good. No, we're good, man. Look how good. We just stay here, man. No, we're doing. No, 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 no. No. Because we live in a city where a lot of people say they know God, but God doesn't know them. Jesus said in that day, you'll, you'll tell me, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, we prophesied in your name and say, I'm sorry. I didn't know who you were. And I'm saying we've got people to reach. We have broken people, hurting people. Deceive people. Do y'all think there's anybody in this city that needs the grace of Jesus? And so we're crushing complaint. We are not going to be content to show up at a worship service once every six weeks and put a little something in the box and feel like we're believers. No, no, no. We're crushing complacency. We're not going to stay on the other side of Jericho and say, well, we tried once to do something, right? It's just like right now, I've been meeting with these other pastors in our city. And what we've said is, here's the problem in Longview. There is no unity in the church and there's no unity between churches. And we've decided to do something about it. And so I've been meeting with these other pastors and we're saying, hey, we're going to do something to serve our city and to serve our leaders. And, and, and here's what we're saying. We're, and, and here's what we've been told. We've been told this. Oh yeah, I tried to get pastors together, 
but I couldn't. I'm telling you right now, I had two pastors and their staffs in my conference room at Pathway Church on a Friday strategizing about how we could serve our city. And what I'm saying is, tell me it can't be done and we'll do it anyway. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to be complacent. I'm not going to stay where I'm at. And in your own lives, do you want to stay where your family is or where your finances is or where your faith is or where you're at in your calling or death? Why would you stay there when God has said you can conquer and you can win? And so today when we give and we put God first, we are crushing complacency and we're saying we'll never be happy here. We're never going to be happy short of what God has promised us. We're never going to be happy with what we have when God has promised us more. That we're going to put him first and we're going to go forward. I'm never going to be happy till my whole family's in church. I'm never going to be happy till my whole neighborhood's in church. Are you with me? We're crushing complacency. Another thing we're doing is demonstrating our faith. When we give, we're demonstrating, we're demonstrating our faith that we believe that God is who he says he is. That's the first thing you declare when you give, is that I believe God is who he, who he says he is, that he is my source, that he will supply all of my needs. And when I demonstrate my faith, I'm also shattering scarcity, saying, no, God has said that he will increase me more and more, me and my children. God has said, my, my barns will overflow and my vats will burst out and the windows of heaven will open and he will supply all of my needs according to his riches, not my paycheck. And so I'm declaring this is who I believe God is. And I'm declaring something else. I'm declaring, I believe, this is what, what Israel is declaring by giving the first. I believe God will use me. When I give, I'm saying you're Lord, but I'm also saying you're going to use me. I can't wait till the first person gets saved in that new campus because that will make all the thousands of dollars that I have given make sense. Are you with me? I can't wait until we're able to up, up, upgrade our broadcast game and we're able to beam to other campuses and, and do more. I can't wait to see what we can do there. I can't wait till the first child receives Christ, till the first teenager receives Christ, because that will make everything that I've gone through the last nine years to get there worth it. Are, are you with me? Because I believe God can use me. Here, here's, this, here's the last thing. It's when we give. We're aligning our hearts. This is the same thing Jericho and Joshua. They were, they were giving to shatter, complain. It had been easy. Their hearts melted. They could have stayed where they were. But they said, we're not staying here. We're moving forward. God said, be, create, be courageous and move forward. And, and, then, and then they said, okay, then we're laying this out before you. We're declaring our faith and saying, you can use us and that you're God. And then the, and then the last thing is when we give, we're aligning our hearts. We're aligning our hearts. That's really... That's really what giving is about. Jesus said, where your treasure is, Amen. there your heart. That was Jesus, by the way, not me. Not the Old Testament. Jesus said, where your treasure is. Now, I don't know how much you need to give in order to call it treasure. I'm just saying, can we just take the verse for what it means? He said, where your Treasure, not your tip. I'm sorry, is that offensive? 
I'm trying to convince you to win. That's what I'm, all I do is win, win, win them. That's what I, I want you leaving the parking lot today at church. You can turn off the Gaithers and you can sing. I'm sorry, that was so wrong. You can turn off Elevation Worship and you can sing, all I do is win, win. Don't send me an email on that. But, 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 but here's the thing. People say, well, well, how much do you give? Well, God gives us like the first 10% and then offerings. That's pretty easy. But what I would say is how much has God done for you? Because sometimes I think, I think, I think the amount that we give many times correlates or expresses what we believe the value of what God has done for us is. Because do you remember the woman who was, who had the alabaster box, who had been a prostitute? When she came to Jesus, she took the whole box and, and, and she didn't just anoint. She didn't just pour a little bit out. It was worth a year's wages. A year's wages. I would love to give a year's wages. I'm not there yet, but pray for me. I'm going to get there. And she took a year's wages and broke it. Why did she do that? Because that was what he had done for her was worth to her. She said, Jesus, what you have done for me is worth all I've got. And so what I'm saying is when Jesus says where your treasure is, I'm just asking the question, how much would you need to give for it to be called your treasure? It says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And you know what I like about that verse? Because it tells me two things are connected to giving. Number one, the course of my life, where my treasure is, there my heart. Wherever I put my treasure, that's going to dictate the course of my life. If I put my treasure in my house, right? And you should have a nice house. Praise God for that. Put your treasure at the lake. You should be at the lake. I'm praising God. I'm not, never against those things. I think God wants us to enjoy the fruits of our labor. God gives us bread, which is to eat, but he gives us seed, which is to give, right? And so I'm not against being blessed. I'm just saying, where is your treasure? Because your treasure determines the course of your life, but your treasure also determines the condition of your heart. And when we give, we are, we are aligning our hearts and we are declaring materialism is not going to have a grip on us and money and greed is not going to have a grip on us, but that we want our hearts aligned with the kingdom so God can move through us so that we can always win. You know, when we talk about giving, here's what people usually, the three responses I've found as a pastor to giving. Number one, people are offended. Like the woman that broke the box, there are people, oh, this could have been given to the poor. Right? There are people already who have left our church and, and they weren't mean about it. They just said, we think you're talking too much about money and the new campus. What's ironic is these are people that serve in ministries that we support very heavily financially out of our outreach fund. But they're saying, we think this money should be given to the, the poor. And can I just say something? If we would have given the $7,000 that started this church to the poor, we wouldn't have been able to give $200,000 last year to the poor. That when the church gets better, we give more away. That's always been, are you with me? We've given well over a million dollars away. And had we consumed, right? Even had we given away, 
So there's times you give, there's times you plant. And so what I'm looking at is, hey, if last year we gave away 200000 then there's, there's a time coming pretty quick where we'll give away 300000 And then 400000 You know what my goal is? And then I'll make a new goal. I want to give away a million dollars a year as a church. I want to give away a million dollars a year. But we got to move forward. And so there's, there's offensive, right? And, and then there's obligation. There's the people like, oh, God, he's sorry. I know. I've been here four years. I really hadn't given any. I steal the pathway pen every week. I probably should, <laughs> probably should give. I don't know what those cost. I probably should give at least $10 to cover all the pens that I've taken out of the church. And, you know, my kids come and they eat the goldfish. I probably should. And there's this obligation, this obligation mindset. But for some of us, today is an opportunity Days like today aren't offensive, and they're not uh, obligatory or obligatory, however you say that, but, but they're an opportunity, an opportunity to say that God is first, an opportunity to win, an opportunity to declare faith, an opportunity to, to shatter complacency, right? An opportunity to align our hearts and an opportunity to see what God can do through us to impact this world. That's how I view days like today. It's an opportunity. Opportunity for me. Today, whatever I do will not change God. But it will change me. And it will change someone else. And I call that an opportunity. So as we're getting ready to give, I want you to watch this video. I heard God tell me a number, and it was uh, it was huge, and I didn't know how we were no, going to no, do that at all. Uh, we had already filled out our our rise commitment, and no, I was walking to put it in there. Like I was physically yeah. going to take it in there, and I felt a tug on the back of my shirt, and I was like, "Yes, Lord." <laughs> it, was, it was actually him shaking his head, telling me, um, "Scratch that one out." And I'm like, "But I use pen." Yeah. And he's was like, "No, I, I heard a different number," and um, I was like, "Okay." The minute we stepped out in faith and said, "All right, God," um, you know, we're, we're not just going to tithe, but we're going to, we're going to bite off something that we know mathematically we can't chew. <laughs> uh, but we're trusting you. We, we believe that we heard you and we believe that, um, that, you know, this is our next step. If Arise isn't something that you've jumped into yet and maybe you're giving yourself a hard time or shaming yourself or condemning yourself that you haven't started yet, I'm just going to tell you that, um, if you think that God's going to turn you away, never been my experience and if you think that you aren't worth him um, paying attention to and um, everybody is everybody has for themselves the opportunity to engage God in their life every single day and I just feel like what would it hurt to all of a sudden wake up and not feel so broken like what would it hurt to go out on a limb and see what God has in store for your life and what your purpose is? You don't wait until things are so broken to, to yeah. run after God. Um, you know, um, we didn't really know how God was going to show up when we started on this path and started making some of those intentional choices um, to really press into God and to really seek first the kingdom. And um, 
When we started to, he started showing up in our lives in real and tangible ways. And he is a loving and benevolent father that's waiting to just let blessings out over you, over your family. Um, and, and all you've really got to do is earnestly seek him. And you really can't lose anything. There's nothing to lose. Um, you seek a living God and he meets you right where you are because he's always faithful to do it. Got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Mm -hmm. We are rising.